live from the Wildcat Photography Studios. This is the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Hi, I'm Nick, alongside my co-host James. And over the next 40 minutes, we will fill you in on this past week's Independent League Baseball news. And let's start in the Atlantic League. On Wednesday, the Sugar Landscapes announced that Christopher Hill will become their new team president, who would fill the position vacated by Jay Miller, whom we discussed back in episode 3 of the podcast. Christopher Hill is no stranger to the Skeeters organization, having served as the team's vice president during their inaugural 2012 campaign. Hill has an extended background in sports management and communications, having spent over 20 years in professional sports. Hill also runs a communications firm called 180 Messaging, and hasn't worked with the organization since 2013. So, Chris Hill, he is now the president of the Sugarland Skeeters. What are we thinking about Chris Hill? Uh, you know, Chris Hill's a good move. I think it, I think anytime you're trying to replace uh, Jay Miller, you're going to have a tough time. But, you mm-hmm. know, Chris Hill seems to be a good move. I think it's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on as we go throughout the season. Um, anything can happen in, in baseball. And, you know, he, he seems like a good baseball guy. But by the same token, we got to give him the chance to, you know, either succeed or fail on his own. Yep, exactly. I would agree with that. Uh, I, my only thing is with Hill, he seems like his whole thing is kind of uh, more of the commerce way, the financials and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if they wanted someone that was explicitly going to handle that, being that you have uh, Stam, who's now the GM, that, uh, from my recollection, doesn't have much experience in that role. Although he did... Uh, I guess, for instance, or do us a little bit of an internship deal with Jay for that small bit there. Right. Uh, yeah. That is a little bit on uh, the concerning side here, but the man knows what he's doing. He has 20 years in sports management, so I assume that this organization is going to continue to run like the uh, juggernaut that they are for the foreseeable future. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I think when any time change happens, it can either go one or two ways, as we said before. Uh, you know, he can be really good or really bad, but I also think there's a, hopefully for them, there's a kind of an in-road with it. If they keep everything status quo, they'll be in good shape. If they just got to keep everything the way it's been going, and then they'll be fine. Of course. I, I'm really interested to see what he's going to do with the whole communications aspect of it. I think they're going to do a lot more, like, outreach and all that kind of noise. Just because that whole Texas market, I think, is ripe for them. I think they can go ahead and really jump on that greater Houston area and try and draw more fans from there. Uh, just general things like that and making a lot more noise. Uh, just to recap, though, with Jay, the reason he's not there is he took another position with the new Omaha team. They're a new team for affiliated ball, and they do take over what was the New Orleans Baby Cakes team. So Right, yeah. That, that's why he's not there anymore, just to catch everybody up on that. But if you are interested in the situation, we went to more of a deep dive back on episode three. And so I recommend checking that out. With that being said, I think uh, Sugarland's moves are Sugarland's moves, and there's not really much more we can say about this. So we'll move on now to the next point, which is High Point. On Wednesday night, the new High Point Rockers unveiled their field and jerseys for the 2019 season. The field is made from AstroTurf and features a large Rockers logo behind home plate. The dimensions are still unknown at this time, and there are only two jerseys for the Rockers in 2019. Their home jerseys, which have feature bright blue color with a banana yellow stripe wrapping around the arm. Across the chest is high points spelled out in a script font, and on the arm, a patch, to, a patch to signify their inaugural year, and on the other arm, a patch that outlines North Carolina with a star denoting where a high point is. 
The back features the player's name and number. The away jersey is gray, has a blue stripe on the arm, and rockers written in a block-like font with inaugural season sneaked in underneath the team's name. Their inaugural year patch remains on the arm, however the other sleeve has an outline of North Carolina with the star denotation. I point written out in script underneath that. The back same as the home jersey with the difference only being color. Pictures of these are available in the show notes as well as on their website. We go into greater detail on the High Point Rockers in Episode 1. Single-gauge tickets for the Rockers are on sale now. What do you think of them? Uh, Good? Bad? Indifferent? Yeah, I really like the Rockers' new new uniforms. I think they're nice. Um, Obviously, they're inaugural uniforms. Uh, You know, I certainly think that they they could have went with the Rockers' uh, theme a little bit more Mm. in it, Um, but I I really do like uh, the way they came out. I think they're a nice, especially for some of the... The uniforms that we see throughout independent league baseball and even affiliated ball, um, I think it's you know really difficult to kind of have those really good uniforms throughout, and so I think they really did find a nice you know classy uniform. You know, I agree with that. I like the I like the script font on the one a lot better. The yeah, block font, and I'm not a big fan of block font. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the little star on the number, I could go either way on that on the back. It's kind of eh. But I do like the patches on each arm, especially the North Carolina ones. I think those are really cool. My only real complaint with them is the stripes kind of odd, just having that only on the arm. And the blue they picked at first, I thought it was purple. Like yeah, if it you did look, it did look purplish yeah, at first. Yeah. yeah, it has some like violet tones in it. Yeah, it does. so those are interesting though. I am curious to take a look at those. Although the field is the part I really want to address. I don't really like AstroTurf. Yeah, AstroTurf never really worked out really in the 90s when it first came out. I, well, even in the 80s it was there. Even with in the like 80s, Astrodome. Astrodome, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, but really, you know, a lot of a lot of stadiums incorporated the indoor yeah. stadiums, and it really didn't work out that well. Um, you know, maybe it's a different type of AstroTurf. A lot of new technology, I'm sure, has been put into it. But, it, you know, you got to be careful for player safety there. I, I was rather just a, just a baseball field, a dirt baseball field. Um, obviously, you know, grass and field and all that, but still, I would rather, uh, you know, a natural baseball field over a uh, over the, the AstroTurf any day. Yeah, no, I, I'm just not a big fan of AstroTurf. I don't think it's as good to play on. Yeah, I, no. no. <laughs> it takes, it, the ball does certain things on it mm-hmm. that is not normal. Plus, as a player, playing on AstroTurf isn't nearly as great as playing on either some sort of a different artificial turf or playing on actual grass or, or sod or anything like that. It's just, I don't like it. Plus, there's just something about it. It just doesn't look as nice. Yeah, certainly, uh, aesthetically, it's not as pleasing as, you know, in typical baseball field. But certainly, you're right from the, the play standpoint, from the, you know, kind of the field of play. It's going to be really difficult for guys to adjust to that because I don't think there's anywhere else in the league where we see that material being used. So, I mean, I think that's a really difficult thing to just say, okay, so we're going from a normal baseball field in Somerset um, and Long Island and all these places, and then all of a sudden just, you know, here we go, AstroTurf. I think that's, again, adds to an, another level to already a season that's going to be kind of tumultuous. Yeah, although it will give them a certain home field advantage because they'll know the way the turf goes on it. Yeah, definitely. Plus, you can put a lot more things on the ground. Warm burners are going to be a lot more effective now because things aren't just going to get caught on them. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, definitely. I think that bunts are going to be interesting. Ground ball, every ground ball is going to be interesting. Well, bunts are going to be really interesting in the second half of the year when the mounds move back. (laughs) Yeah, true. Yeah, especially with the mound moving back in. And on the AstroTurf, you can get some really fancy hops there. This could be a really, uh, you know, interesting 
dynamic with the AstroTurf and to see how it really works out. I think it will be kind of fun, um, but I also think you got to worry about player safety. I mean, a lot of injuries have happened as a result of AstroTurf, so, you know, it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, just as a side note real quick, it reminds me of something I saw early in the week. I was thinking about bringing it making its own thing on the show, but I didn't really think... Uh, one person's comments warranted a whole segment. Right. But you saw the uh, Manfred quote about the Atlantic League. Yep. For those that don't know, he did an interview with Michael Kay. And in the interview, he was talking about some of the changes they were thinking about with in the future with Major League Baseball. And so Kay had mentioned moving the mound back and how that could go ahead and increase injuries. Manfred had kind of quipped, saying, well, that's why we're doing it in the Atlantic League. Throwing player safety in the Atlantic League aside and... Naturally, as you could guess, there was a large number of pitchers that did not take kindly to that that play in the Atlantic League. You could kind of guess where that was going. Yeah, that, that was really bad. I mean, that was that was really bad. I, I think that Manfred really, really dropped the ball on that one. I mean, of course, you you know, definitely that's his thinking, right? Surely that, that's the thinking is what everybody thought at the time uh, was, you know, obviously the, the MLBPA. Uh, wouldn't let them do that, right? There, there would no. be no way for them. Yeah, to, the injury risk would be too great. Right. So they would, they were forced to put in the Atlantic League. But you don't come out and say that from a PR standpoint. Then I don't think he really meant like I don't care if these guys' arms get destroyed. I mean, it I certainly came off that way. It does, and that's why it's a problem. It, the way it's interpreted is the way it is. There's a problem. He needs to kind of. Well, he doesn't need to amend it. He hasn't amended it, and he has nothing to gain by amending it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not going to be a huge uh, outpouring, you know, other than from us. You exactly, know, yeah. Just telling like, him chastising him over it. But, you know, I just think that it'd be, it's the right thing to do to walk it back a little bit, but he won't. Exactly. And although I will say, though, the people that are saying, like, Manfred said that both baseball are being a bit overdramatic about it. Although I do agree he makes a lot of changes that aren't traditional and probably aren't good. But, yeah. and also he doesn't really know how to handle the press very well. Yeah, he never really has been. Like, I think if you look at Adam Silver on the NBA. Oh, Adam Silver manages it terrifically. So smooth, really good at at what he does. And and Manfred came in around the same time, uh, maybe a couple years before uh, Silver, Hmm. but still, really, I mean, just really hasn't been as good of of an overall, uh, you know, person for the league. I mean, just Hmm. really not a good commissioner. Um, I mean, some of the things he's done have been good, but like you said, a lot of it is changing the game in fundamental ways that fans just don't like. I think also part of the problem is he sees how, like, demographics and everything are going, and I think he's trying to make, I guess, artificial changes to the game to try and bring it back to the number he wants, when in reality, the game's just cyclical. The reason why it's longer games and people are making more pitching changes and benefits and all that is because now people are going by the numbers heavily, and they're going, okay, home runs, win games, Base hits don't. Runs win games, get runs, stop runs. Eventually, that's going to turn when people go, okay, well, we're not putting up any offense, so maybe we should try and go back to just small, chip away, run an inning type things here, and you put five up, and you just hope your bullpen holds. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, you know, two different, there's many schools of thought on baseball, and you're right, everything is cyclical. Things happen, and, and it's not like, uh, you know, Rob Manfred should be, uh, you know, he, it seems like he wants to micromanage baseball and make it into this something that he thinks is more marketable to a, a millennial type of audience that maybe doesn't have the attention span uh, of some other audiences. Um, mm. I mean, certainly for me, even, you know, I played baseball all the way up through high school and, 
but it, you know it's tough to sit through a full three hour game, especially if it's dragging and there's not a whole lot going on. It can it can be you know it can be challenging uh, to kind of get through that. But uh, depending on what game it is and you know the team, of course, obviously if it's if it's your home team, it's a lot different. Exactly, when you're a fan of the team, you're willing to deal with it a lot more. Right. And I honestly though, I just think if they were looking for the reason why you're losing people. It's fine you play 162 games. That's it, yeah, 100%. Yep. If, if you dropped it down to even just 154 and started the season like the first week or second week in April, I think it would be so much better. And that's why the NFL is so big, though, is because you have it in such a small quantity exactly. that it just makes you want it more. It's a supply and demand thing. You have four months of the season where you're guaranteed to see a game, and then you have about, what, another month? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you cannot pay attention... Like from now until like June or July, you cannot pay attention to baseball at all. And then in July, you can start up and then oh, the, yeah, no, the like teams that's going to be there are going to be there, you know? Yeah, it's like Netflix. You pick a month you want it and then you're good for another couple months yeah. and then you do it again. You, it's basically that. You pay attention in April. I mean, you can leave May and June, come back in July. If your team's still in it, watch July, leave August. Then come back in the end of September, beginning of October, and see from there. Oh, yeah, no That's doubt. the problem. But they won't cut down the dates because they'll cut into the profit line. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll never reduce the number of games. I mean, they'll cut into the profit line for the owners, and, and they won't have that. And, you know, I can understand that from a business perspective. But also from a player safety perspective, playing less games is really good for them. I mean, imagine, would you rather see, you know, 162 games with... Um, with resting players yeah, towards the end of the, the year, players, seeing some also, AAA team up. Right, but yeah. also Tommy John surgeries and other injuries, like, you know, D.V. Gregorius right now. Would I rather watch, you know, someone, you know, Troy Tulowitzki come in for D.V. Gregorius, or would I rather watch D.V. Gregorius, who probably wouldn't have got hurt had he played 162 games, you know? <laughs> exactly, yeah, and if you kind of say, well, stars grind the game, then you want the stars out there as much as possible, and nobody's yeah. playing 162 games. No, nobody's playing 162 games. And they also don't market their stars. Look at Mike Trout. I mean, well, Mike Trout just got the commercial with Andrew Luck. Sure, but I mean, you know, typically, how many how many people before you know this whole contract thing would say that Mike Trout was the most recognizable face? Oh, absolutely not. It'd be Bryce and Harper. Nobody. Yeah, Bryce Harper. So, I mean, personality is what sells. I mean, look at Johnny Manziel. I mean, Johnny Manziel's still kicking around selling because he's you know a person. People know him. Yeah, yeah. see, he has that Duke effect to him where. Love him or hate him, you're tuning in. You either want to watch him succeed or, or you want to fail. fail. You're tuning in for the drama. Of him, so. Yep, definitely. So I think that's enough there. Let's move on now to Long Island. The Long Island Ducks announced two major signings this week. The Ducks bring aboard Major League veteran outfielder Matt Dendecker and infielder Steve LaMondozzi. Dendecker is entering his 10th year as a pro after spending the past seven seasons playing for a mixture of the Mets, Nationals, and Tigers. Although Matt spent most of the last year in AAA Las Vegas, he still has so has still has a solid bat, good speed, and a great glove. While Lombardozzi has been a pro for longer, he has also played for a few more leagues, making stops in Washington, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Miami over the last eight years. Steve is no stranger to the league, having played part of 2017 with Southern Maryland. Both of these vets and the rest of the Ducks look forward to bringing the flock to an Atlantic League title when the season starts on April 26th against the Revolution. All right, so we got new guys in Long Island. Long Island adding to their Kirk Newman Heist acquisition, trying to go ahead and bolster their team. Uh, Labrandosi and Dan Decker, both kind of, you know, bench guys for the majority of their career in Major League Baseball. 
just going to run through the stats real quick that Den Dicker had in his 166 major league games with Mets, Nats, and Tigers, as we just found out. Uh, he has a 1.1 war, 7 home runs, 223 batting average. As Lombardozzi has a negative 1.3 war, 5 home runs, 260 batting average, and 293 games, Nats, O's, Pirates, Marlins as his teams. What are we going to make of these signings on the island of Long Island? Uh, the Long Island Ducks, they're going for it, man. They're just, they're going for a championship. They, they are not holding nothing back. Uh, these guys are really, uh, you know, again, talented players, big acquisition, big name acquisitions, really. Um, and just really smart uh, baseball players, you know, who know the game, have been around the game a lot, and certainly will contribute to Long Island for however long they're there. Some of these guys might move on. Um, or, you know, midway through the season, as we've discussed before, maybe to affiliated ball or even the major leagues, um, and they're new in Heisen's case, but probably, for the most part, these guys will be on the team, um, and they'll help contribute to a championship run uh, that the Ducks hope so. Yep, I agree with that. I think they're going to be solid additions. I think uh, Wally Backman's putting together a team that he intends to win the Atlantic League. I don't think he has any intention of going with... Uh, you know, younger, unproven guys. I think nope. he, he wants his team. Then Decker and Newman Heights in the outfield is going to be quite formidable, I think. Especially with other guys that they're going to be bringing in over the next few days. We're going to see how the roster shake out in, in the coming weeks here. But I think Lavandozzi also has a very nice uh, middle infielder type. I think he's going to be interesting to see here. Uh, obviously, Den Decker's been the more successful guy, I suppose, even though he's played in about, what was it, about 100 less games? Yeah, about 100 less games. Yeah, just about that. So, um, it would be interesting to see how he's going to play, but I think he's going to have a better time than Lavrandos is going to have. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're going to definitely do a good job, and I, I look to see Long Island compete now. That's going to be a very interesting division with them. Somerset, who's revamped. High Point, as we've discussed last week, who looks very good. And then also having, uh, uh, what was it, New Britain in that division, too. I think that's going to be interesting to see how that's going to shake out. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. And I certainly think uh, Dan Decker is probably the, the more talented player uh, at this hmm. point. But, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. You know, a lot of these guys, they get they get with the right team, the right situation, and they, they take off, you know. Yep. So we could go ahead and continue to dive into these uh, the other stories we have, or we could go ahead and take a break at the moment. I will defer to you on that. Let's take a seventh inning stretch. All right, to the seventh inning. So, as we all know, it is NCAA tournament time here, and this week I'm bringing that to the tape. So, round of 16 starts today, and there's some of these matches here that I really am interested in, and I want to go ahead and run through them here. So, when you're hearing this, these first few matches I'm going to go through here, then we'll already been playing while we already know the results. However, there will be a vast majority of these games that will still be being played. If you have the opportunity to go to these games, highly recommend it. They're pretty affordable to go to, and they're very fun. I went to one last year. So, first game on the docket today, it's at 3 o'clock on Friday. It is UMass Amherst versus Harvard. Oh yeah, for anyone that thought I was actually talking about basketball, I don't really like basketball. So we're talking about the hockey bowl. So... <laughs> UMass a solid team, ranked number one for a large part of the year. They look like they're a dominant team. However, they're playing Harvard, who is a scrappy little team. They know each other fairly well, play against each other a little bit. Both in the same, uh, I believe they're both in the same conference, the EC, ECAC, I believe. And so they'll be, they're going to be something to watch. I think that's going to be one of the best games of the whole 
whole tournament, really, because they're just, it's a rivalry game, and it looks exciting, and I think those teams are way more evenly matched than a lot of people believe. Although, UMass, I still think, has the edge here, just because of Kale McCurr, who is by far the best freshman in college hockey, and probably one of the top ten college players in hockey right now. Yeah, definitely, I got UMass in that one. That's it. In that one, I, I have UMass. Uh, moving forward there. So next one up is Ohio State-Denver. This was also one of those games that I'm really looking forward to. It's a rematch of last year's Midwest Final, which I had went to. was a very good game. Those teams are extremely evenly matched. They don't normally see each other, being that they play in two separate conferences that don't normally play against each other. And that one to watch is going to be the goaltending matchup. And so it's going to be Phil Larson going for the Pioneers. He's going to get his first bit of tournament action. I'm excited to see how that's going to go. He's a Detroit prospect, so, you know, he's going to be a quality goaltender. His stats back that up, so it's going to be very interesting to see how he's going to handle the uh, potent Buckeye offense. For Ohio State, it doesn't really matter who they go with. The three goaltenders are all extremely good. I saw it be Sean Romeo. And if that's the case, you're going to be in for a defensive showdown. It's going to be a really good game. That's at 4 o'clock on ESPNU. I really am excited for that one. Up next is Notre Dame at Clark or Notre Dame Clarkson. This one, that's really not the interesting. Clarkson may make it interesting. They do have a little, they do have a little bit of spunk to them, but I don't really see them putting up much of a fight. I think Notre Dame's going to run through them <laughs> and get to UMass, which that game will be a very fun one. And then the last game for the Friday docket is St. Cloud playing American International. This should be of no contest. St. Cloud should run right through them, although they did have trouble last year with with Air Force getting bounced in the first round by them, but Air Force is a far better team than American International is, so I would not be, uh, you know, worried about that if I was a Cloud fan. Well, you never know, you never know, you know, underdogs, sometimes they pull off the upset, American International could pull a rabbit out of the hat, beat them, you never know. Oh, that would be something. <laughs> As a North Dakota fan, I'd love to, honestly, I'd love to see Ohio State and, uh, and American International has the one there. I kind of want to see American International run the table, to be honest. But I know that's not going to happen. They're going to get ran out of the building like 5-1. But yeah, yeah, probably. In <laughs> any case, going to the Saturday games. 1 o'clock start time on the first one. That's Minnesota State at Mankato versus Providence. That's in Providence. Providence should win it. Mankato's, they're a good team. But I expect Providence to win, having home ice, basically. It's kind of weird, though, to see a team like Providence playing in Providence as a lower seed. I don't understand that. I don't think they should be there. I think they should have been bumped to Midwest, or at least the Manchester region, but schedule makers. <laughs> uh, up next on the day, there was the 4 o'clock game, Minnesota Duluth at Bowling Green in Allentown. Duluth should win it, although Bowling Green's had a very good year, so anything's possible, but once again, defending champs in Duluth, they should win. Up next after that one is Cornell Northeastern. Northeastern I have for that one. Cornell, they do have a lot of good players. The teams are fairly evenly matched, but Northeastern is a better team. And then the last match of the first round, the round of 16, Arizona State versus Quinnipiac. That one could go either way. That one's surprising. Yeah, that one could go either way. I have Quinnipiac in that one, um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Arizona State win that one. I, I, wouldn't, I really wouldn't. Yeah, no. I'm, Arizona State has... And this is the kid's actual name, Johnny Walker, who is a leading goal scorer for them. <laughs> great name, great name. It is a great name. but So Walker could pose a threat to Quinnipiac, as Quinnipiac has kind of fallen off its last few years. Not the same program it was when it lost North Dakota in the final a couple of years ago. However, I 
I don't necessarily believe they're that bad of a team where they will lose to the Sun Devils. I think it's going to be close. I think it'll be a 3-2 final. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be uh, Duluth in Quinnipiac in Allentown on Sunday. But just kind of wrapping that up here, because the next time we come to you on these very airways, <laughs> we will have our Frozen Four set, which is on the 11th of April. And for me, I gotta say, I'm really feeling like it's gonna be the winner of Ohio State Denver. Then probably, I'm feeling, I think Notre Dame. Ooh, I think, Notre Dame. I think it's gonna be Ohio State Notre Dame on that front, so a Big Ten match there. And then on the other side, it's hard for me to say, because Mankato is a good team. But I do think Providence is going to beat them, and I think it's going to be Northeastern Providence. And if that's the case, then it's going to be Northeastern. Northeastern's a better team than Providence is. You never know. It could get hot, man. It could, but sometimes Providence just, they disappear at times, and this is not the same Providence team that won a national championship, I believe, six years ago. This is a different team, and I don't, I don't believe in it as much. Plus, to win that national championship, they got a lot of help from Matt O'Connor, who put a puck in his own net. So... <laughs> I don't, I don't believe in that, and I think it's going to have to be Minnesota Duluth, because I think Duluth's repeating. Oh, yeah. They're too strong of a team. They just are. It's probably going to be Duluth, Notre Dame, and Duluth winning it. That's how I see it. So Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I have Duluth as well there. Um, I, I don't know if Notre Dame goes quite as far. I don't know if I'm going quite as far as you have them, but they're certainly a strong team. I think anything, especially um, when you're dealing with hockey, anything can happen. Um, mm. can get hot right at the, just at the right time, and you never know. I mean, you just never know. Hey, goaltenders can, you know, put on a performance of a lifetime, and, you know, that can change, that can just sway the whole, whole, whole way it's gonna go. So. Yep, exactly. So, I think we've covered that. Yep. I think we can jump back into baseball if you have nothing. Back to baseball. Right, back to baseball. So, now with the seventh inning stretch and the Atlantic League settled, let's turn our attention to some other leagues in unaffiliated ball. The Can-Am League and the Frontier League, namely. So the first story in the Can-Am League this week is coming from Quebec. In the Can-Am League, the Quebec Capitals are unleashing a new push to help keep their games affordable for families. The club announced Wednesday that they would lower the prices of select concessions. After hearing feedback from fans, they made the decision to reduce prices of fries, hot dogs, poutine, pizza, beer, and other similar food items. These changes will go into effect when the Capitals host the New Jersey Jackals on May 21st. So basically what happened here was Quebec said, we're going to lower food prices because we've been getting some complaints from fans saying that, you know, the food's a bit too, a bit too much. So the, the hot dogs, the za, the fries, beer, poutine, which is a big Montreal thing. It's a big thing. It's basically uh, fries with melted cheese and other things on top of them. For our Jersey people, it's basically Bisco fries. <laughs> well, they're di- no, they're different from that. They're different, but it's similar. They add a whole bunch of things. It's, it's quite weird. It's similar. It's very it's, similar. It is, I'll give you similar. I wouldn't go very similar. I'm going to fight okay. this point for the French listeners. Okay. It's Even similar. though they can't understand me. Somewhat similar. <laughs> Somewhat similar. All right. We'll go with that. But I, I do like seeing them reduce, reduce prices. I think that is very good. I'm surprised to reduce the price of beer, though. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I mean, 
I mean, I I'm, I'm happy for the <laughs> the Quebec fans, but you know, uh, and it's noticeable marks. Now, it's like some of them are, and they're weird numbers, but they're noticeable. Like seventeen percent, twenty-two percent. Something was knocked down forty-one percent. Wow! Like they're decent sized markdowns. Like I gotta give them that. I mean, you know, I, I think that this is where a lot of the the money is made in independent. Oh yeah, it's concessions. Concessions. So I'd be careful. <laughs> you know, I think business wise. You know, mark them down a little bit, but I mean, I you can't I, go too crazy. Yeah, huh? you can't go, go too crazy. You can go too crazy high, but you certainly can't do, go too crazy low. I mean, I certainly think that there's, uh, you know, I'm gonna pay for a soda and a hamburger every time I go to a game. You know, it's just the way it is. I'm yeah, get, get a, food. You know, exactly. I get a hot dog. You know, it's just how it goes. Exactly. Yeah, every game you're gonna buy something. Yep. Sometimes it may be a big thing. Sometimes it may only be small. But yeah, no, I agree with that. I think it's gonna be a kind of an interesting thing to watch there. And I hope more teams go ahead and do kind of follow their lead and, and not necessarily lower prices, but do continue to listen to fan feedback. That's important with running anything, but especially a business that relies heavily on teams and things like that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that really, you know, transparency, as we've talked about many times, is key to success. And transparency is, is, is also could directly correlate to listening to your fans. you got to listen to your fan base. If your fan base wants something and they're urging you to do it, you got to do it. You know, that's how you stay in business. Yep. All right, and so now we will go on to Ottawa. And this in Canada, of course. Of course. got to stay in Canada. Yeah. Wonderful place. Of course. The home of the Ottawa champions may be in jeopardy. City officials identified Raymond Shabbat Grant Thornton Park as one of 20 possible sites for new affordable housing. It's the stadium's location. It's the location of the 26-year-old stadium that makes redevelopers swoon, being near mass transit stations and major highways. According to Stephen Willis, the city considers the site to be a midterm project that would see change in the 7 to 10-year range. This would be at the conclusion of the current lease the champions have that runs from that runs till 2024, but can be extended using the two five-year renewals. The story will be developing, and we'd like to thank Pete Toms for sharing this story with us on Twitter. And we'd also like to encourage anyone that does find a story in Independent League Ball that we may have missed to share it with us via Twitter, Instagram, or any of our means of reaching us. First time we've talked about Ottawa since episode one here, and again, it relates back to their future and sustainability in Ottawa. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a blow. I, I think, you know, I, I, I like this team. I think Ottawa is certainly a, it's certainly a good place for baseball and everything. But I, I think that if you have this happen, uh, yeah, obviously the champions would be hard pressed to go find another spot to to play baseball in Ottawa. I really think mm -hmm. it would be it would be difficult for them to relocate uh, and continue in the same format that they are. Yeah, no, I, that's not going to be impossible if they do not keep Raymond James. Uh, right now, though, the city does seem to have wanted to keep them around. It's been brought up numerous times that this is, could be a site for it, and every time it's been no, no, no. They've had the current lease since 2015, so I don't see, you know, I don't see this happening. I think it's going to be safe. Like, it is something to bring up, and it is possible. They've, they've lost teams before, um, including the team that the stadium was built for. But even still, I'm not, uh, I wouldn't be too concerned if I was a Champions fan. You still have, at the bare minimum, seven years, and a lot of changes in seven years. Yeah, definitely. I would certainly, uh, you know, make sure you, you know, keep supporting your team if you're a Champions fan, mm. uh, obviously, first of all. But I'd also, you know, reach out to your public representatives and say, hey, you know, this is how I'm feeling. I really love the Champions. They're a pillar in the community. 
you know, I, I think that affordable housing is, is a great uh, thing to have, um, but maybe not on our, our team stadium. Exactly. Yeah. If there's 19 other sites, pick one of them. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely make it known if you are in the city of Ottawa that you do support the champions, you think they're a positive for the community and that they should stay. And in addition to that, I don't think they're going to make many major moves here while you still have OSEG involved in this. We still have yet to see a full season with them helping market the team and promote the team like that. So I'd be interested to see if their opinion on the situation changes in about, say, five months from now when we're winding down the season and we see the kind of year that Ottawa's had. Obviously, also, you know, a losing year doesn't help. No, um, but if they if they go on a run this year, you know we'll see what happens. I mean, yeah. it could, like you said, winning changes everything. Exactly, and every year we know the Can-Am League it flips on its head like most leagues in independent league ball. So who knows? Maybe the champions will win this year, and you know anything's possible. Yeah, anything can happen, and I think if they do win this year, it'll be it'll be really great for them and their fans. But also, I I, I think that. You know, it doesn't take them out of the woods entirely of being, of you know, this redevelopment happening. Uh, so I, I think it really is, you know, it's a community decision and it's something that you're going to have to keep an eye on and hope that, uh, you know, those in leadership make the best decision for the community. Of course. Let's see, with that, let's go over to the Frontier League with Southern Illinois. Lastly, this week, we turn to the Frontier League, where the Southern Illinois Mines have announced the start times for their games in 2019. The Miners are going with uniform timing. This means the team will have will play all games falling on specific days at certain times. These times are as follows. 6.35 p.m. start time for Monday through Thursday games. 7.05 for Friday games. 6.05 for Saturday. And 5.05 on Sunday. The two doubleheaders currently scheduled against the Gateway Grizzlies and Florence Freedom will begin at 5.05. All games are in Central Standard Time and subject to change as needed. It's just nice to see that they announced that there really wasn't much discussed with this. I just figured, you know, well, well, I like it's this. important to put out. Well, well, I like this because I think that, the, um, you know, a lot of teams don't do this. They don't have, really have a uniform time. You know, you see some camp days where you have an 11 o'clock start and you'll see other things. Um, and, and I really like this, having a uniform start time throughout the whole season. I think it makes it so, okay, I know the game is going to be this week. I know it's going to be today. I'm I'm willing to go, and once you have that kind of, you know, really, you know, people understanding that this is going to happen, and they get kind of trained that this is going to be when the game is. You're going to see a lot. It's going to be easier to fan, for fans to be to be access to the game and they have access to the game. Exactly, and then also I like how they have the certain games earlier than others here. Uh, the only thing that would have embarrassed them, you said, seven o'clock start for all of them. So that way, you have a uniform across yeah, the board. Yeah, that would have been really good. Yeah. <laughs> But, whatever. but I get the 6.35 start time during the week. Those are days where you most people don't have off the following day. You know, you either have school or work or something like that. So you want a slightly earlier time. Same reason for Sunday, 5 o'clock start time there. Uh, Saturday, I was kind of surprised that Saturday actually starts at 6 o'clock as opposed to 6.30. I would switch those around. But, mm. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yep. yep, and then the 7 o'clock on Friday is good, too. I think the times really are good for everybody involved here, and I think they could be positive. Yeah, I think it will be a positive thing. I, think, I certainly don't think it will be a negative thing. I don't see anything negative that could come out of it. Um, but I, I definitely think it will be a positive um, for Southern Illinois as they kind of look toward, you know, how do we get people in and what, what drives them time-wise. I think timing has a lot to do with it um, because, you know, if you don't have the time to go to the game, you can't go. So, I mean, it's at the right time of day. You know, obviously the evening is perfect. I think afternoon games are really difficult, even on the weekends. I mean, I think people would rather go to a night game than they would an afternoon game a lot of times. Exactly. And then, uh, 
Just quickly wrapping up here in Southern Illinois, I'd just like to remind everybody there's charity event for Southern Illinois. It's also still going on for gently used or new, uh, any sort of equipment, so gloves, cleats, bats, anything like that. They're still accepting those. All the location, or all the information on locations and types of equipment needed are on Southern Illinois site, on their partner's site, and also in the show notes we have from episode 5, I believe. It's either five or six, but you can check that out on our website. And then just quickly in closing today, one story we didn't cover but did see, and I just didn't want to put it in here because we've talked about the Pacific Association enough in the past few weeks. The Napa Silverados are now under new ownership. Uh, we will touch on that next week. However, this week it, there was enough stuff where I didn't feel the need to toss it in there and keep beating the association over the head. Yeah, we're also taking a little bit of a breather from them. Uh, obviously, we've been talking about them a lot lately, lately so we'll, we'll get back to them once the, you know, next week or the week after, whenever uh, exactly. we dictate that it'll be a, a good time to do so. Exactly. So, with that said, we will be concluding today's show. If we have nothing else to add... No, nothing else to add. Let's get, right. get gone. Right. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share us with your friends. If you have a minute, we'd appreciate it if you reviewed the show on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at IndieBallPod, that's Indie with a Y, and on, and on Instagram at IndieBallReport, again, that's with a Y. Be sure to head over to our website, IndieBallReport.com, to read some great articles and vote in our fan polls. And with that, don't forget to play ball.